Thank you, Tanner, for reading our scripture. We're glad that you're here tonight. We encourage you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 with us. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 in our study together. We do appreciate those of you who are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful for the number of visitors that come our way from week to week. And as always, we invite those of you that are looking for a church home to consider the work here. We have been blessed with a number of good families that have come and placed membership with us. And it may be the case that you're looking for a church home and we want you to know that we'd love to have you and we'd love to have you as a part of the work here. I do want to say thanks to Brother David for leading our singing tonight. We appreciate David and his willingness to lead singing tonight. Jared led this morning and we're very grateful for the talented men and women that make up this church and we appreciate Brother David tonight in Billy's absence. And I do want to say that Connie is here. She was waving her hand just a minute ago when it was said that she was home with Billy. And I texted with Billy right before services tonight and he said he might be doing a little bit better. I'm not sure if he's fudging or not. I think he was fudging this morning when he said he was doing better. But uh, we want to keep him in our prayers. He said he was very sore from all the coughing. And so I don't, I don't know what all's going around, but I know this, I don't want it. And I know you don't want it. Tonight we want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about equipped to serve the Savior. In order for us to be effective as workers in the kingdom of God, we have to be equipped. When individuals join the military, they are equipped to serve in a very specific capacity. By the same token, in the business world, in the corporate world, individuals who go to work for a very specific corporation are trained. They're taught certain things and they are equipped to work in that area of expertise that they have trained in. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writing to Timothy, and of course this is Paul's last inspired letter. The time is about A.D. 68, and he is about to give his life for the cause of Christ. As you well know, historians state that he was beheaded by Nero Caesar. And he's writing to Timothy, and Timothy was his own son in the faith. And Timothy was a young evangelist, and he had the opportunity to work side by side with the Apostle Paul. He not only had the opportunity to work by Paul and to learn by observation, but he had the opportunity to learn as a result of sitting at his feet and hearing what he had to say. And so I think that Timothy was well equipped to carry on by way of evangelism and edification in the kingdom of God. I want to begin tonight by, first of all, talking about the examination. And then secondly, there is an expectation, and then thirdly, an exhortation. And these three very specific points are directed to Timothy, but there's a lot of application for us. Consider with me, if you would, first of all, of the examination. Look at verse 10. Paul said, you have carefully followed 
my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. There are two things that I think stand out in these verses. First of all, Paul identifies some attributes that he had demonstrated before young Timothy. And then there is his attitude. Think about for a moment or two the attributes that are spoken of. Paul said, you have carefully followed. I mentioned a moment ago that Timothy had the opportunity to observe firsthand the actions of Paul. Not only did he observe the conduct, the life of Paul, the teaching of Paul, but he listened intently to what was said. And so Paul, in a very specific way, identifies some things about his life. First of all, he talks about his doctrine. He said, you've carefully followed my doctrine. Doctrine is extremely important. In his first letter to Timothy, back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 2, Paul had said that he left Timothy in Ephesus to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul taught the doctrine of Christ. He was a teacher, a writer of the commandments of the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 at verse 37. So Timothy had the opportunity to listen and to learn intently the doctrine or the teaching of Christ. And Paul here reminds him of that. And then he talks about his demeanor. He said, you've carefully followed, you have observed my manner of life. I think about how Paul carried himself. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, said, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. When I think about the life of Paul, I think about somebody who sought to the best of his ability to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, when he said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ Jesus. Paul sought to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, and he would encourage others to walk in his footsteps insofar as he walked in the footsteps of Christ. And so Paul carried himself as a New Testament Christian. He was a shining example to all who were about him. In Philippians chapter 1, he would say, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In chapter 2, he would say that we are blameless and harmless, the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Well, Timothy knew about that. He'd observed Paul. He had seen firsthand how Paul carried himself. And then I think about his devotion. Listen also, he said, you've carefully followed my purpose, faith, long-suffering, and love. Characteristics that no doubt served Paul well. I think about somebody who was intent on serving the Lord, come what may. You remember in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The single aim of Paul was to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To evangelize, to lead people to Christ and not 
only to evangelize, but to edify, to build people up in the faith of Almighty God. The fact that he was long-suffering. Down in chapter 4, Paul would tell Timothy to preach the word, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. In dealing with people, you have to suffer long because people are not perfect. And Paul no doubt wanted Timothy to understand that. And then I think about his difficulties. And his difficulties were offset by his determination. He said, you've carefully followed my perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured. Paul, no doubt, faced numerous persecutions in his preaching and teaching. You can go back and you can read about his first missionary endeavors, his first tour of duty, so to speak, and the difficulties that he faced in these cities. In chapter 14, the Bible talks about when he was in the city of Derby, He was stoned, rose up, and went right back into the city. And then afterward, he went back through the cities of Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, encouraging all of those people, all of those saints, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Did the Apostle Paul know something about persecution and difficulty? Yes, he did. Did Paul understand that living for the Lord Jesus Christ might not be an easy task? Well, of course. He cites some of his difficulties. And you can read the missionary endeavors of Paul. I think about his, his three missionary tours. All of those missionary endeavors marked by persecution and difficulty. So, the attributes. What about his attitude? Paul had an amazing attitude. And I think his attitude could be attributed to the alliance that he made with the Lord Jesus Christ. Note, if you would, the one who delivered him out of all the difficulties he faced. He said, you've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. The source of Paul's deliverance, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you think the Apostle Paul faced the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations of life? I think the answer was summed up in Christ. You remember in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Who was it that stuck by him through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad times, through the highs and the lows? It was the Lord. Drop down and look at chapter 4 in verse 16. In verse 16, Paul said, in writing to Timothy, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but he said, all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Now look at verse 17. He said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And he said, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And then look at verse 18. He said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Paul understood that while on earth, the Lord had been the one who had delivered him, who had stood by him. Paul making reference to those that had not stood by him, not backed him, 
But he said that wasn't the case with the Lord. Let me tell you what. It might be the case that folks will tell you they'll stand by you through thick and thin and they may, they may mean that at the time. But when push comes to shove, the question is, where are they? You can always trust in the Lord. He will always stand by you. And He will always stand by you and deliver you and ultimately preserve you for that heavenly kingdom. And bear in mind in chapter 4, Paul here knew that death was imminent. Did the Lord deliver him out of difficulties in life? Yes, He did. But if you look at verse 18... He said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Paul could say, look, even in death, I win. Why do I win? Because I go to be with Christ. Remember what he said in Philippians 1.21? To live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ. He said it's far better in verse 23. And so, first there is the examination. And then in the second place, there is the expectation. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul would say, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What is the expectation that Paul here is telling Timothy about? Persecution. What he's saying is, in the first place, the reality of persecution. What's the reality of persecution. What's the reasoning behind persecution? Well, he sums it up. What is it? Godly living. You want to know why Paul's saying to Timothy, you're going to suffer persecution? It's because of a godly lifestyle. Now, there are reasons that are attached to godly living. I think about the fact that those of us who belong to Christ, we need to get ready to suffer for godly living. Well, why is that? There are two reasons. Persecution can come, number one, because we are visible for Christ. Look at the life of Paul. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He said, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, you are to be a leavening agent for good in the world in which you live. That's true today, isn't it? We ought to be an influence for good wherever we are. We ought to try to be an influence for good whenever and wherever we are in life. But then in verse 16, he said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I want to ask you a question. Do people know that you're a child of God? You ever thought about the fact that sometimes the church as we know it, and we are the church, it's not the building, it's the people. Sometimes the church of Christ is the best kept secret in the community. Nobody knows about us. If they don't know about the church, that means they don't know about you. Why? Because you are a part of the church. The Bible says that the church is composed of many members, yet but one body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So all of us are to be visible before the world. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1 and about verse 27? Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In chapter 2, that you are to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The people know that you're a child of God. When, when Paul went to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, do you think they knew that he was a child of God? 
When he went to the city of Philippi, do you think they knew, knew about his Christian beliefs? You better believe they did. Matter of fact, they, they knew it so well, they beat him along with Silas, imprisoned him. The Bible says that his feet were fastened in stocks. At midnight, here, here we have Paul and Silas praying and singing praises to God. Why? Because they're visible. Because their lifestyle. Look, in, in Acts chapter 17, we have the account of Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. And the Bible tells us that they were literally run out of town. And you know what was said about them? The statement was made, these men that have turned the world upside down have come here too. Let me tell you what, they were visible. You know what our world needs today? It needs those of us who belong to the body of Christ to be a shining light for good. Our world needs righteousness. How is the world going to get a dose of righteousness if we don't shine our light? We ought to be a shining light for good. People ought to know that we are children of God. Persecution can come because we're visible for Christ. And then secondly, it can come because we are vocal for Christ. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? You remember? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Go back to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, you remember that great persecution that swept the early church? And the Bible says that the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. In verse 4, the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. They were using their voices to sow the seed of the kingdom. Now you drop back to chapter 4. Peter and John had healed a man at the temple. And it had caused quite a stir. They were called before the Sanhedrin council. And in verse 13 the Bible says that they took knowledge that these men had been with Jesus. They were untrained and unlearned men. In other words, they hadn't been to some great university, but they'd been with Jesus. And so they commanded them not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. What'd they do? They said, we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. In the 21st century, in America, Christianity, those of us that believe in the one true living God, those of us that believe in the ideals that are set forth in the scriptures, whether we realize it or not, we have become in many respects the whipping post of the media, of Hollywood. And we need to understand that when we take a stand for what's right, it's going to create some waves. When you stand up and say, look, here's what the Bible says. You can expect to get some grief. For example, morally speaking, think about the movement that has been afoot for a generation now regarding homosexuality. 
Jesus said, A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Biblically speaking, marriage is between one man and one woman. That's what the Bible says. Do I have the right to rewrite Scripture? Do I have the right to circumvent what Jesus said? Absolutely not. What I have the right to do is tell people what the Bible says. Now, when you start saying things like that publicly, you can expect a backlash. That's just one example. But what, what Paul is saying is, if you're visible for Christ, if you are vocal for Christ, persecution is going to come. Listen again to what he said. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, note the term, will suffer persecution. As someone said on one occasion, if we're not suffering persecution, maybe it's because we're not living godly in Christ Jesus. As Christians, we're supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to stand up and speak out. But in many respects, the devil has muzzled us, hasn't he? We're scared to speak out. We're scared to stand up. We have been bullied by the world. I want you to listen to what Solomon said many years ago. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. This country is in a spiral. And we've got the antidote. You know what it is? It's the Bible. But this world, this country is not going to change. It's not the course that we're on is not going to be reversed unless we as a people of God become more visible and more vocal. You believe that? You agree? I think we have to. It's incumbent on us. If the church is going to be what it ought to be in the 21st century and beyond, the Lord willing, then we have to be visible. We have to be vocal. And if not, then the trend that's, that's before us now in our country, it'll continue. So, the expectation. Then there's a third thing. Note, if you would, the exhortation. In verse 13, there's some things, there are some key points that Paul shares with Timothy. First of all, he says, you need to guard your faith. Well, why is that? Look at verse 13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I want you to think about this for a minute. When you look at that passage of Scripture, you have evildoers, evil deeds, and evil doctrines. Evildoers engage in evil deeds and promote evil doctrines, don't they? Now, there are some people that will tell you it doesn't matter what you believe. Doctrine is unimportant. Well, if that's the case, why would he leave 
Timothy in Ephesus and tell him to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Evil abounds, does it not? Remember what John said in 1 John chapter 5, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Jesus came to do what? To dispel the spiritual darkness shrouding the world. He came as a light into the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The world's in darkness. And the bottom line is, the more people detach themselves from Scripture, the worse they become. Look at what he said. Evil men grow worse and worse. Evil men and evil deeds. You look at the city of Memphis. Look at the Mid-South area. Is it not amazing, the stuff that goes on in this, in this area? Does it not just make you shake your head at night when you watch the news? It's unbelievable. Some of the things that go on in this area. And we're, we're supposed to be the quote-unquote Bible Belt, aren't we? I'll tell you what. I'm not so sure that we're the Bible Belt anymore. I think the belt has been discarded. Paul here is saying you need to guard your faith. Individually speaking, each and every one of us need to guard our faith. Against what? Against evildoers. Against evil deeds. Against evil doctrines. There are a lot of things that are promoted in the name of religion. That quite frankly, there's not one verse to support. Let me just give you a couple of, a couple of, a couple of uh, thoughts along these lines. How many times have you heard people say, all you have to do is say the sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. All we need is one verse. It's not there. Read the book of Acts. It's not there. But there are a whole lot of folks in our world today, that's what they've been taught. And Paul is saying, you better guard your faith. Some people say, well, one church is as good as another. Doesn't matter. The Bible says there's just one church, Ephesians 4. Now, again, you think about doctrine. It is important. And there are a lot of things that could be said along these lines. So, first of all, guard your faith. And then, I want you to think about for just a moment, growth in the faith. Listen now to what Paul said in verse 14. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We talk about the building blocks of faith. Timothy was a young evangelist. And what Paul is saying is, you just keep on keeping on. What's, what, what's the exhortation to us today? Be faithful. Be steadfast. Keep growing. Keep maturing in the faith. 
When we obey the gospel of Christ, we are identified as babes, aren't we? We're infants. And Peter said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. But as we grow, we do so because Peter would also say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The only way you can grow is to keep learning. Spend time in this book. Timothy had been spending time in the Word of God since he was just a little fella. And, and what Paul's saying is, you just stay on that course. And that's what we need to do. Continue learning, continue growing. And then there is the guide for his faith. Look at verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it's God-breathed. And he said, it is profitable. You ever thought about how profitable the word of God is? The sad, the sad reality is there are a whole lot of people in our world today they don't realize this book is profitable. I wish that the people in Washington understood that this book is profitable. I wish that people in Washington could come to the understanding that all of the social programs and all the things that they're trying to do to somehow reverse our course pale in comparison to this book. This book has the answers. If we want to get on track economically and morally, let me tell you how we do it. We go back to the Bible. Why? Because it's profitable. When families do not have as a standard or guide in their home God's holy word, they're being undermined. Think about, the, think about our nation today. What's the old saying? As, as the home goes, so goes the nation. Our nation is in trouble because the home is in trouble. But if we had godly mamas and grandmamas like Timothy's, you think about Timothy's grandmama, Lois, and his mama, Eunice. He talked about the faith that dwelt first in his grandmother, then in his mother, and then he said, and I am persuaded is in you also. Who was responsible for that? His family. There are a whole lot of mamas and daddies. There are a lot of husbands and wives whose lives are in chaos, and the reason is because they haven't, they haven't come to understand that this book that we call the Bible is profitable. If you're off course, you want to get back on course, Open God's holy word. You got problems with your marriage? Open the word of God. You got problems in child rearing? Open the word of God. Whatever your problem is, this is the answer. So it's profitable. And it's a pattern for what? Listen to what he says. He said, it's profitable. It's a pattern for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you open this book, it's like a mirror, isn't it? And this, this book, when, when you look into this book, you know what it does? It tells, you where, it tells you where you stand with God. It is a pattern for how you live. How you serve the Lord. How you worship the Lord. And ultimately, this book is what's going to get you home. And when I say home, I mean heaven. You can't get to heaven without this book. And so that's why you need to keep it open. Why? Because it's profitable. Why? Because it's a pattern. If you get rid of the map, then you're going to be lost. 
So stay on course. So Paul here is saying, look, you want to be equipped, Timothy? Think about this. Paul is about, he's about to die. He has been a father in the faith to Timothy. And he is giving him some words of exhortation. He's telling him, look, think about how I've lived before you. Think about how I've conducted myself. And then, because you're a, because you're a gospel preacher, you need to get ready to suffer. You're a Christian, aren't you? And then... You want to stay grounded? Here's how you do it. Here's how you stay faithful to God. So in closing, I want to ask you tonight, are you equipped to serve the Lord? This morning, Fred prayed for us in Bible class. Brother Fred, Jared's daddy. And he prayed that God would send forth laborers into his harvest. The only way we can do what we have to the only way that we can do what we have to do and advance the cause of Christ is to be equipped. We need more and more people to enlist in the army of the Lord so that we can sow the seed of the kingdom. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God, recognizing that if you will repent of your sins, confess His name, be baptized into Christ, as Peter said, you'll enjoy the remission of your sins. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. You'll be a part of that body that God has promised to save, Ephesians 5, 23. And if you will remain steadfast and loyal to Christ, the assurance is the crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. If you're unfaithful, could we pray with you and for you? Could we pray with you tonight to help you get back on track? It might be the case that you're not where you want to be spiritually. It's supposed to be a family. And we can pray together. We can encourage one another. And we'd love to do that for you tonight as we stand and sing.